0: Newspaper since 1971. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, August. I'm not going to say the date. I refuse to say the date, even though I had been down this road before because I'm superstitious, which is really weird. Uh, but you can figure out the date if it's Friday, and I'm not going to say it. Anyway. Headline in the newspaper, let's say with a a positive headline for White Sox fans like me, Fielding a Dream. Headline about yesterday's uh, Field of Dream game in Iowa between my beloved Chicago White Sox and the dreaded New York Yankees. Boo! All right, studio audience, you don't have to boo the Yankees every time I mention them. Uh, The White Sox won on a walk-off homer by uh, Timmy Anderson, one of the great moments of the year. I was so excited. I was jumping up and down. Uh, Of course, uh, unmentioned is the fact that that's – uh walk-off homer was set up by two, count them two, two-run homers by the Yankees in the top of the ninth inning against the White Sox. Best closer, trying not to look on the bad side, trying to look on the positive side. My beloved White Sox heading for a World Series. Enough baseball talk for today. Uh, I am going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and he's going to be disciplined and focus on politics, not sports. So, distinguished mm-hmm. guest, introduce yourself. All right. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be
1: back. Uh, I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University and the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. And I am also a huge baseball fan, Ben. So uh, so you dangle that carrot in front of me. And I just have to ask (laughs) if uh, Kevin Costner's dad was playing for the White Sox or the Yankees last night, you know? Um,
0: Yes. (laughs) You're uh, okay. I, I, I know you're a huge baseball fan. What I can't remember is: Are you a uh, Yankees fan? No, I'm a Phillies fan. Initially, I'm, f- I'm from the Philadelphia area, um,
1: but I've been here for ten years, eleven years actually, and so I, I I root for both the White Sox and the Cubs. I know that's sacrilegious, but uh, I always say, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear tear down this wall. <laughs> like, they, they both play for Chicago, man. You know, they both called the Chicago. You know, like why can't we all just like them? I don't know. I don't understand. But I don't come from. Can both we all just the yeah. The uh, sense, like, all right. 1930s. So, me, Philly had two teams, too, but that was a long time ago. So,
0: yes, way right before your time. Uh, let me just say this before we do leave baseball. This is one of my favorite topics. Uh, I, too, root for both teams. I, too, am not a native Chicagoan. I think that the Chicagoans, uh, this Chicago thing where you pick one or the other, is utterly absurd. It's one of the many absurd things that Chicagoans do that I will never understand. Uh, one of is like electing. Autocratic bullies as their mayors, I will never understand that. Uh, their veneration of gangsters, I will never understand that. So it's just some things I don't understand. Whenever I say this is Chicago, and they get all like, "You got to pick one or the other," and half of them, David, don't even could not name one White Sox or one Cub. Okay. Uh, that said, I'm so through with the Cubs right now and their right wing, uh, Trump loving owners that I just. i don't know i don't know if i'll ever root for them again but that's neither here nor there let's get down to business um i got um, one topic that i've been really eager to talk to you about ever since i read your column on the subject and it has to do with the gubernatorial uh recall effort in the state of california gavin newsom was on the ropes uh, as a result of his own idiocy you pointed that out in your column uh and um your name of the book is time to fight dirty and that you first wrote your first book or one of your first books, uh, it was advice to Democrats. And, of course, obviously they didn't read your book because everything they have done in the state of California regarding this recall seems to be more self-defeating than the last thing they did. So let's just start at the top, and why don't you run through for folks who may, have, may not remember all the ins and the outs of the uh, recall attempt in the state of California.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So some of your listeners may remember the last time that California recalled its governor. And that was uh, Gray Davis in 2003. And he was replaced by Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, the action film star who uh, went around, you know, went around the the state promising that he was going to terminate Gray Davis. Uh, Just to give you a sense of how how uh, high minded and mature these proceedings are. But california has this quirky system where if enough people get gather enough signatures to recall the governor you can trigger a recall election anytime in a, in a person's term um and so this this effort actually everybody talks about gavin newsom right he's like this handsome guy he was a right thought to be a rising star early on in the pandemic he got very high marks for uh for the state's response there have been some areas of california that that actually have done better most of the rest of the country, but almost the whole time, like San Francisco, other parts of California, not so much, but, um, but he was popular. And then, then this thing happened in in November where (laughs) this is November, 2020, right? This is like at the height of the, of the national surge when the political leadership of the country is begging people like not to go to Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. Um, and our guy in California goes to French Laundry, which is one of the fanciest restaurants in the country to an unmasked birthday party for a lobbyist. Okay. Um, and so he was spotted there and he was photographed there and uh, and just all hell broke loose for him. And he lost like 16 points of approval in two weeks. Um, and that's when the recall effort, which had already been going, um, started to gather some steam because they, they launched this recall effort in 2019 against Newsom. Um, and the ostensible reason that they are doing this uh, prior to the pandemic was they didn't like his immigration policy. This is a bunch of far-right lunatics who are, who are initiating this recall, okay? so um so they got the signatures right um and his his approval rating is not like terrible it's about 50 percent but it's it's less than it should be in a state that's as democratic as california is um and then that's when we run into the just the sheer lunacy of california's institutions it's like a bad it's like a laboratory for bad democracy reform ideas so the way the way a, a recall election works in california is it's a two-stage process okay, this happens on september 14th it's right? coming up very soon um the voters are presented with two questions one question is should we recall gavin newsom yes or no okay. um that in and of itself is an invitation for people to spoil their ballots right um because people are probably going to misinterpret the meaning of a recall right? and they go in and they're like i like gavin newsom yes i like this that's yeah let's keep him you know <laughs> right? um i i, I know you, you wouldn't think right but like the, the, your average voter right like you has to have things explained to them and that's fine you know? um so there's a certain number of people screw that up okay but if if newsom if
0: if yes <laughs> sorry newsom, i just i just had a moment, I had a, moment. <laughs> I had a I just when you i'm not laughing at the voters of california I, I feel your pain it reminds me of taking the sat way back in the 70s where like i get a question and i like is this a trick question? Where are they going with this question? It was the exact opposite response. You're supposed to have David Ferris for a, a test that measures your quickness. In a part measures your speed. How fast you, and I'm like, huh. Let me think about this one for a while. No, you don't have time to think about it. So that I I feel your pain, Cal. But when you did that, David, I'm sorry, I just started laughing. I just the California, hmm. Yes, I like hmm. him. So yes, would be the most yeah. logical. I recall him. I know who he is. I recall Gavin yes. Newsom. Yes. great are, Yes, do you recall? Do you recall? Uh, you know, I recall. Uh, let's hope the California voters do better uh, on their recall election than I did on my SAT. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue. No, it's all right. It's, uh, so there's two, it's, two, it's two
1: stages, right? One is a yes vote on the recall question. If it gets more than 50%, that is, yes, we are recalling Gavin Newsom, then Newsom is gone. He will no longer be the governor. Um, but then there's a second stage and it happens on the same day So it's not like they vote to recall him and then there's an election It's like it all happens at once. Um, and so the scrum and they basically hold What is in effect an instantaneous what we call a jungle primary That is everybody from any political party or no political party Or like, you know, uh, chefs or um, former olympic stars like anybody can run in this election, okay Um, and there are counted 46 people <clears throat> There are 46 people who have thrown their hat into the ring um, to be the people, the person who replaces Gavin Newsom as the next governor of California. Sorry, must son is awake a little bit early. Um, so here, here is the big problem for California Democrats, okay? Newsom cannot be the person who wins. Like, so he's not one of the 46 people. Once he's gone, he's gone. Um, and so... The person who wins and becomes the next governor of California can do so with as little as 20% of the vote, probably. Okay? So you're, you're tossing somebody out probably with like, you know, a 51% majority to get rid of Gavin Newsom. And you're, you're electing a governor who might have as little as 25, 30% of the vote, right? which is itself an insane sort of atrocity um, in Democratic <laughs> terms. <laughs> But to make matters worse, um, the Democrats of California, led by Newsom himself, decided not to recruit anyone to be the Democrat on the ballot in case Newsom does get recalled. So not that there are no Democrats running, but there are no well-known Democrats running. So nobody from Congress, uh, no state senators, no state legislators. Um, It's like the guy who's leading the Democratic the, the, the person in, who's a Democrat who's getting the most votes is some like YouTube guy named Kevin Paffreth. Um I made I made fun of him a little bit in the in the column, and then his office reached out to me and was like, "Do you want to interview him?" And I was like, "I'm good." Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I do. And um, so, in any case, um, the person who, in several surveys, has gotten the most votes on that second question is a guy named Larry Elder, who is a uh, like a lifelong sort of like right wing town hall columnist, And he's got a radio show. Um, he wrote a book 20 years ago. Maybe some of your listeners remember it's called like the, the 10 things you can't say in America, you know? And it's like, uh, just stuff like, um, you know, it's, uh, racism is not the problem for the blacks. You know, Larry Elder is African American. Okay. So he's like a, he's like a, he's the unicorn, right? He's a, he's a right wing, um, black Republican, uh, media personality. um, and that could be the next governor of California. And it's, like, it's just like this complete accident of fate that they're going to hold a recall election in, in, in September of an off year. Okay, it's not even like the thing gets scheduled for election day, 2021, right? They're like, how about we just do it in September? Does that sound <laughs> good? <laughs> let's just have the, let's just elect yeah, before, our governor yeah. at a, when there's not an election. It's just it's <laughs> bananas, Man, really bananas. And uh, you know, six months ago, everybody was like, "Well, don't ever do this." I mean, the, like, Newsom won his office by twenty-seven points. Uh, Biden won California by twenty-nine, and people weren't that worried about it. But uh, the thing has just gathered momentum, and Newsom can't get out of his own way. Um, and so, there's been there was a there was one poll that showed him getting recalled outright, fifty-one to forty, in a in a Survey USA poll. It's a de- decent, not the greatest, but it's a decent polling firm. Some other firms have it very, very close, you know, um, 47% recall, 50% keep them. um, And that's within the margin of error. And that means um, that California itself is a state. And I don't live in California. So I'm like sort of less concerned about the the impact on California than I am. The impact on national politics, which is um, one of California's senators is uh, a living fossil named Dianne Feinstein, who's ancient, who does not seem well. Uh, where there's open talk right now of replacing her or of doing it before Newsom has to, you know, might get thrown out of office. Um, and, uh, that means Larry Elder, uh, that's (laughs) like the guy that two weeks ago was like a talk show host and a, and a columnist who could just like go on town hall and be like, we should feed all the immigrants into a wood chipper, could pick the next, uh, governor of California, which is just, which is crazy. Um, and the state Democrats have no strategy here because they put all their chips on Newsom, um, and, and that to me is just a, it's just crazy. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge strategic mistake. Um, I think people are going to get confused by being like, we should keep Newsom, but if we don't, please go to part two and vote for this person. <laughs> you know, I don't think that that's actually that hard to sell. You know, you could fit it on a postcard, right? Fit it on your enormous vaccine cards that do not go in your wallet. But anyway, that's what's going on in California. It seems like a big problem to me. Uh, Elder's going to come in there and, you know, lift all the mask mandates and, uh, he's not going to do any vaccine mandates. So that's that's terrible for california I mean, they'd only have to deal with them for like a year and a half, you know So it's not the end of the world And there is a democratic supermajority in the legislature, but uh, i'm i'm most worried about that the senate situation there And uh, and what might happen, you know, if they do throw news them out and they do elect somebody like I you know, I mean t- donald trump permanently removed All sense of shock in terms of who could get elected to public office in this country <laughs> This, but it really would be outrageous for Larry Elder to be the governor of California. Honestly, it really would be. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, uh, people are hopeful. I think that, um, as the election draws closer, people will start to pay closer attention to it. But the, but the fact of the matter is, um, that people simply were not expecting to hold an election in the middle of September.
0: So David, let's talk a little bit about the democratic strategy. Uh, before I do, I just want to finish this point. Uh, in November, I think it is, of 2022, there will be another gubernatorial election in California. So this is so short term. This whole process that David just outlined that did a very good job of explaining leading up to this election in September, which could lead to, God help us all, uh, the election of Larry Elders as governor of California. It could be undone into the next election cycle. So to keep that in mind, folks, uh, as I pursue some of the political ramifications of this. but Let's just talk for the moment about the Democratic strategy. And uh, we had a California strategist, political stra- activist on the show uh, several weeks ago, actually several months ago, talking about this. And at the time, he was defending uh, the strategy because at the time, uh, Newsom was ahead in the polls. What he didn't foresee was the flip in the polls where people are turning against Newsom for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I didn't buy the strategy at the outset. I always believe in an option uh, B, a plan B, as they say. My dear friend Norm Van Leer, used to always say, you have to have a plan B uh, when you go through life. And uh, the Democrats had no plan B. And I'm starting to think that may have been the ego of Gavin Newsom was so enormous that he was worried, follow me on this, David, that if Democrats realized they had a uh, a replacement that they could go to some other Democrat to be the governor of California, they would just say, yeah, we'll recall him and we'll elect Billy Bob. And so his ego got in the way and the party tied itself to this very precarious bet that they're making that he could win that recall. And you're right, the future of the Senate, good God, the future of the Senate, ladies and gentlemen, could rest on this. Uh, so in, I know it's Monday morning quarterback, but don't you, do you share my thought that like, what a peculiar decision by the Democrats not to have a legitimate democratic candidate, uh, in the recall election?
1: It is curious. I mean, it's, so it's partially, I'm sure it's partially Newsom's ego, which I'm sure is like the size of the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's partially, you know, it's the fighting the last war. So in 2003, when they were called gray davis um the his gray davis's own lieutenant governor a guy named cruz bustamante put his name in for part b you know for the second question and he got like 30% of the vote um and they just happened to run into this uh this this storm of arnold schwarzenegger who was already very famous obviously but, i mean schwarzenegger's like what was like one of the most famous people in the whole world at the time in 2003 right you know, all the terminator movies and he's this big action star um and he's, you know, I mean, like, look, he's like, he was like an entertaining guy, right? I mean, it's like listening to Arnold Schwarzenegger speak. It was like a trip, you know. Um, and, uh, and Schwarzenegger got about 48% of the vote. But I mean, honestly, if you had taken Schwarzenegger out of the, the equation and, and there was no internationally known, um, you know, well-liked movie star in the race, then Bustamante very well could have won with 30% of the vote amid a fractured Republican field. And so they, they looked at that and they were like, well, that didn't work for Gray Davis. So we shouldn't have the governor <laughs> run in this place or any Democrat <laughs> that anybody has ever heard of run in this place. Um, and that just seems silly to yeah. me because there is no Schwarzenegger in this race. I mean, Larry Elder may be famous on like, you know, redstate.com and, and people that consume right-wing media, but like normal people don't know who he is. Right? Like, like no one, your average Democrat isn't like, oh, Larry Elder. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he should be fine. You know, they're like, who's that? You know, (laughs) like, why are we right? Like, why are we elect like an op-ed columnist to be the governor of the state? And that'd be like me running for governor of Illinois. It's crazy. Um, So anyway, I think that there's some of the Democrats are just they look at 2003 or they're like, whatever we did then, we should definitely not do this time. Um, And then Newsom himself just like scared everybody away. Now, this brings me to the last part of the Democratic strategy here, which is that Newsom himself is being insane. And he is telling people not to vote on part two. He is going out in public and he's like, don't vote on, just vote, just vote no. Just vote no on the recall and leave the second part blank. He has said that out loud. And so people like (sighs) Democrat. this is why I think we really might lose the governor's race here. Um, It's just that the governor himself is like, okay, if you don't want me, you know, uh, I'm going home, but we're just, forget it. Forget it. You can't have a Democrat at all. You you don't want me. Might as well have nobody which is just like a stupendously selfish thing to do Um, and make, it really makes me hope that this is, I don't want him to lose this election, but I hope that this is it for him. You know, uh, like I don't see how he could possibly be reelected in 2022, even if he survives here. Um, And so, yeah, it's just a, it's just a perfect storm of, of stupidity um, where the California democratic party, I think is a kind of an institution where, you know, when you have no serious competition for, for like 20 years, um, you know, you, you you lose your sharpness a little bit, and you lose your sense of how to win a competitive race. Um, when when a competitive race sneaks up on you like this, um, and it's I mean, this is politics. You know, the deepest red state, the deepest blue state, can always elect a governor from the other party. It can happen. Um, and uh, I think that they got a little too full of themselves, thinking there was no way this could ever work. Um, and uh, and and here we are. And if it does have national ramifications, um, particularly if you know Larry Elder. I mean, I don't think he would win in 2022, but he will have the power of incumbency, right? And if if there's a Democrat, if there's a Republican governor of California in 2024, like a like a you know 2020 Truth or a Trumpy type, a person, that person would be like, yeah, I'm not going to sign the electors from California. Sorry, I think uh, I think Trump won. Sorry about that, right? I mean, you, it's like it just opens up this 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 can of worms of uh, this is really not something that you want in charge of a major, the sixth largest economy in the entire world. You don't want to just like gift wrap it to uh, a talk show host. I mean, that's no, I mean, like I love talk show host Ben. Okay.
0: <laughs> no offense taken. So. <laughs> no offense taken. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, <laughs> having been a talk show host, I can tell you, you definitely don't want a talk show host running a state. Uh Particularly one like me who gets up every day around 10 and go ah, I think i got to go interview somebody. <laughs> I, um, I, I would listen to your, uh, it was a really great riff about, uh, what, how Democrats, uh, particularly Gavin Newsom made a mess of this. I'm just, it just, I would, the whole time we're talking, I was thinking of Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Uh, which is, we hadn't t- mentioned that we we're going to talk about him, but, you know, we might as well do it impromptu and go here. The arrogance of Democrats who start to believe their own bullshit, you know, in the case of Cuomo, just think about that. I mean, just, it almost makes me like my inner MAGA is emerging here. Just think about this for a moment, Dave. Andrew Cuomo, a total perv, just thought he could go and paw women and, 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 and blame it on this. The part that really irritates blame it on his generation, dude, we're roughly the same age, okay? Nowhere, nowhere was it ever acceptable uh, among our generation just to grab women. So don't act like it's the Harvey Weinstein defense. Okay, so he said the same thing. Oh, it's like a Woodstock that you wouldn't understand. No, I understand. Right. You're a pervert. So, but Cuomo was so arrogant, David, that he thought that just by signing a bill, which is so bizarre and twisted and weird, uh, outlawing sexual harassment, He was then free to do whatever, harass any woman he wanted and then get away. Well, I signed the bill. What do you guys want? And Newsom, you know, I I don't know what triggers his arrogance other than he's really good looking. There's an argument against really good looking people running for office right there and then because it really goes to their head in the middle of a pandemic when you're outlawing social gatherings throughout the state and preaching that people shouldn't have thanksgiving with their grandmothers to go to this freaking restaurant with the lobbyists i i, I got to tell you david if i lived in the state of california and there was a legitimate democrat running and i would vote no and then i would vote yep. for the democrat <laughs> i just so what is it about democrats the utter arrogance of The people that the Democratic voters elect, it just, please help me understand this. You know,
1: I think that there are certain political cultures that encourage and abet and excuse sort of this tyrant behavior um, from people like Andrew Cuomo. And I, you know, I don't know what Newsom is like in private. Uh, Maybe he's perfectly pleasant, but somebody that would do that i think is probably a little bit full of themselves um and i you know frankly i've only been here 11 years but chicago seems like it, it maybe has a little bit of this culture too right you know you listen to what goes on in Lori lightfoot's office and uh it's just like i would you work for this person i absolutely would not um i wouldn't work for andrew cuomo he seems like a monster and he enlisted his staff in this in this stuff you know i had him go um get pictures of of attractive women for him to harass and stuff like this i mean it's just, it's just disgusting. And, um, it's another case where I, I don't understand the Democrat, I don't understand the hesitancy to throw these people overboard. Um, particularly when it's like you produce a credible candidate, you're not gonna lose the election. You know, um, the, the new governor of New York seems like perfectly fine. Um, and then we, you know, progressives get another shot at it next year and, and we'll see what happens. Right? Like, why did it take so long to get rid of Cuomo? Um, although I will say, look, <laughs> like Cuomo's gone right right will be gone in 10 days um Matt Gates who's in congress has been accused of like much worse things than even Cuomo was right and it and it's like we don't even expect the republicans to make any to put any pressure on him to leave it's just become this thing in republican politics where you can be you know like a like a sexual abuser and and it's like that's fine just say you didn't do it and uh and we'll just move on you can go on tour with Marjorie Taylor Greene um so as much as it's it's frustrating i i do I applaud the culture of accountability within the democratic party at least um, and uh and and hopefully you know another one of these instances where where this guy you know his career's over i'm I don't care right like good, it should be over, but hopefully it'll serve as a, as a kind of deterrent to even the people who are scumbags um, maybe they'll stop being scumbags either just to, just so they can get ahead in life. <laughs> you know what I mean um so, uh, but, but in terms of the arrogance of power, you know, I mean, that's just a, that's just a characteristic of the, of the apex of of politics and the, and the kinds of um, norms and expectations that develop around how a leader should behave and how a leader should interact with their staff. Um, and, and some people just can't be trusted with power because they like to throw it around in ways that are either inappropriate or abusive and, um, you know, I don't know why we keep electing people like that. I don't know why we can't just elect, like elect nice people to office. The problem is a lot of nice people just don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so or or e- even if it's not a matter of nice, just uh morally consistent people. And the 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 most I say um the strongest uh counterattack that Republicans have against Democrats is yeah. that they're hypocrites. They propose uh, programs and, uh, that they don't want to follow themselves.
1: And hypocrisy is a powerful drug
0: in politics.
1: You know, it is, yeah. uh, you remember back in the, in the winter, um, right when they were rolling out the vaccines and, and you'd meet somebody like you'd meet like a young person who was vaccinated and you were like, well, what gives, you know, <laughs> like, why'd you get the vaccine? Uh, and people, like people would flip out yeah. about the line jumpers and the vaccine line jumpers. And it produced this like real sense of outrage. Like anytime for the you know, January and February, at least, anytime it was like you think somebody's getting a vaccine that shouldn't be getting a vaccine, you just, you just, your blood boils, right? Because there's a deadly plague going around. Everybody wants the vaccine. Why did you get it in front of, you know what I mean? And it's like, you're, Newsom is asking yeah. people to give up their holidays with their families. Um, this is a real sacrifice, you know, stay, stay inside. Don't socialize with your friends. Um, and here's this knucklehead. It's not just that he was at French Laundry; he was at a lobbyist party. You know, it was like he was being yeah. hypocritical with like another person that everybody in the public hates. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> doubling down. So it's like I can't imagine
1: <laughs> who who would have been worse to be caught unmasked at a party with, other than a lobbyist. Maybe like trial lawyers or something. Like I don't know, um, <laughs> some, some other group of like reviled people by the public. Uh, like I'm going to defy my own orders to go party with these people, you know. It really, he really shot himself in the foot there, and he he
0: he deserves what he's getting. Yeah, he did. By the way, I would not uh, p- uh, put trial ours in the list. Dear friend of the show, Jim Coogan is a R, comes on the show all the time. But point well taken. Trying to find somebody in lower esteem than a lobbyist, uh, I guess, an elected governor. I did not like. Uh, we're in a tangent here, but. Uh, We made fun so much in November and December of the public service announcements that uh, local politicians, including uh, Lori Lightfoot, made uh, urging their listeners not to have Thanksgiving dinner with grandma. I I thought they were the most – first of all, they were the biggest – phoniest announcements. I don't know if you ever listened to them, uh, David, or listened to our show and we made fun of them, but like these mayors would pretend like they were calling their loved ones. They they would do bits where they would, hello, uh, grandma, I'm really going to miss you. And it, they're, they're such bad actors. The script was so hackneyed. It was so clearly manufactured. We just had a field day making fun of it. And I'm sorry. Even then, before vaccine, with social distancing precautions and testing you could have dinner with grandma it was it was it wasn't even an accurate message you could have dinner with grandma you know what take the test make sure you don't have the covid distance from grandma maybe we wear a mask it was just such a over-the-top preposterous we all knew it was ridiculous and it just the Republicans use that to bash they want to take away your dinner with Grandma, but pot shots are open. you
1: know what I mean it's <laughs> well they've been going on for twenty years about a war on Christmas, and then uh, you know, kind of launched a war on Christmas, you know, but it was it was uh, i mean it was a feature of the pandemic, still kind of is honestly where um sometimes you're asking people for something that is not you know it's not realistic based on based on any like meaningful understanding of human behavior, you know, um, that is that like, not many people spent the last 18 months like literally not seeing any of their friends. You know what I mean? Like people made their accommodations, they made their risk calculations. Um, there's a difference between getting tested on both ends of a trip and then going to see your grandparents for Thanksgiving and like just pretending that this thing was not going on. Um, and the people that needed to hear that message were the people that weren't gonna take the test, right? that weren't going to take any precautions when they go to Thanksgiving and, December, and Christmas. And they're the ones that caused the big surge, not, not the people who were you know, conscientious about it as far as it went. Um, and so it's, uh, y- you know, the public health authorities in Chicago and Illinois nationally seem to vacillate between, you know, thinking that we're too stupid to hear the truth <laughs> um, and, 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 and implementing measures that really don't make a lot of sense on their own terms. You know, like I've, I've been on the show complaining about the beach and playground closures while restaurants were open. Um, You know, we've got this big Delta surge. um, And yet uh, you know, the airlines won't implement vaccine mandates for the passengers Um, and, and the public, you know, like where, where is the CDC on the, like why are these people not, dropping the hammer on the actors and in the institutions that could really make a difference here. Um, I, I'm only saying this because I flew this week, probably against my better judgment, but I did I did get on an airplane this week and just could not believe that, I mean, just, you don't even have to take a temperature test to walk through the airport. There was not even a COVID screening, nothing. You know, you just, you tap a button on your phone that's like, got COVID? No? Okay, get on the plane. Um <laughs> got <laughs> COVID. No. Yeah, COVID. No, oh, I'm, Lord. I'm good. You're welcome aboard. Um, and uh, I will say one great thing about pandemic-era travel, Ben, is that it really shuts everybody up. Um, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was the most the two most silent plane rides I've ever been on in my life because everyone's just terrified, you know. Um, and <laughs> everybody's just looking around each other. So there's like one guy sneezing in the back, and the whole plane's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, somebody sneeze! Gotta gotta stop this plane," you know. Uh, and it was this was a trip I had planned back when things looked like they were going to go in a different direction here, um, but they but they haven't, and uh, and I think it's just, it's just it's long past time that uh, that private companies, that um, institutions, educational institutions, universities, all of them have to have to demand that the people that are coming into these facilities and doing these things just got to be vaccinated, um, and I, honestly this is on the Biden administration in large part for not pushing for a vaccine passport, for not laying the groundwork for vaccine passports, for not helping the States think about how to implement vaccine passports. It's a big bureaucratic undertaking. Um, and, uh, you know, they, I think they thought that they had it beat and I, I don't know. I, mean, I wish they had been right, but, but here we are over a hundred thousand cases a day.
0: Yeah. They, a uh, huge, uh, political miscalculation, uh, and uh, by the Biden administration, and it's, it's a pretty obvious now what that miscalculation was, uh, David, they uh, figured that the uh, vaccine uh, would eliminate COVID uh, and they could proclaim victory. This is so long everybody got vaccinated. Uh, and they thought that the the portion of the Democratic constituency that they saw, which were clamoring, as you just pointed out, for the vaccine, jumping ahead in line to get the vaccine represented a far greater portion of the American population than it really does. Uh, they underestimated horrifically the opposition population. Uh, both among MAGA, but also among Democrats, uh, black Americans, particularly younger black Americans, uh, also a strong resistance to getting the vaccination. And uh, as a result, the variant has spread. And uh, so now they got to figure out what to do. Uh, And the most obvious step is to do uh, vaccine mandates as much as possible. So for instance, public employees have to get vaccinated a, uh, a vaccine or they, are they let them get out for religious reasons. What, whatever. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe you're Christian Scientists. Who knows? So, uh, so I don't know if they have the will. Well, I'm going to ask you that. Do you think Biden has the will and the Biden administration has the will to take this nut- next tough step and actually wade into the political battlefield? That is the, uh, the anti-vaxxers, and, uh, vaccinations in general and demand across the board vaccinations. Do you think they have the will to do that? I mean, I hope they do. You know, I think that
1: Biden himself is probably of limited utility messaging wise, um, because the anti-vaxxers aren't going to listen to him, right? Like what the anti-vaxxers are going to listen to is, uh, uh, sir, you may not come into the Applebee's tonight because you're unvaccinated. You know what I mean? Um, and so maybe what, the Biden administration needs to do is provide incentives for private actors and and public institutions, Uh, So you know, both both incentives and penalties for institutions that don't mandate vaccines. Um, And frankly, they just seem like a month behind the news because they were so terrified of walking back the the, the May guidance about masks. They didn't want to do it. Um, They felt like it would be a retreat from this uh, premature declaration of victory that they had done. And they thought it would hurt his polling numbers, I think, just to be honest with you. And it has. It has. Uh, 538 has Biden below 50% for the first time in his presidency as of this morning. Um, that is 50% approval. And so, you know, as always, I mean, this is, a, you know, this is how it works. This is America. People have one eye on the public policy and they've got one eye on the next election. Um, and we're, we're barely over a, a year from the midterm elections. Um, and Biden, I don't know if he just, he didn't have enough attention span to to deal deal with COVID and then spend four months negotiating with Republicans over an infrastructure bill that still hasn't been been signed into law yet. Um, And we'll get to that in a minute. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, the federal government needs to use the federal government's powers to the greatest extent that they can. Um, This has been a theme of my writing. (laughs) Use the power that you have. Um, You know, Biden can't force every American to take a vaccine, right? But what they can do... um, is they can put into place some guidelines. Um, they can take resources away. They can give resources um, to to entities and states and, and companies that are doing things right, as opposed to doing things wrong. Um, and I, you know, frankly, I wouldn't mind seeing senior officials get mad uh, because the vaccinated population of America is angry right now, and they're angry at the un- unvaccinated. And I, you know, I think that we want to see our public officials share that anger and frustration in the sense that like, we got to live for through, you know, how many more months of this, um, you know, it's not as bad as it was in the winter in terms of our, our daily experience, but but it's not over in the way that we thought it would be. And particularly people with kids and immunocompromised people that we ought to live through this fear for another, who knows how long, right? Because because some subset of Americans are too stupid to know it's good for them. Um, and um, yeah, I, they got a lead. I mean, Biden's got a lead and um you know pritzker's got to lead and lightfoot's got to lead um it, it's you got to put those incentives in place and there's communities here in chicago that are for whatever reasons uh, historical reasons skeptical of the vaccines um, and you do everything you can to reach them but ultimately you know those restrictions have to go into place on and everybody that's unvaccinated i think um regardless of the reasons that you're unvaccinated whether you have good or bad reasons for 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 uh, not wanting the vaccine unless you're allergic to it or something, right? But wh- whatever your reasons are, the, the the penalties have to apply, right? Like no restaurants, no bars, no movie theaters, uh, no grocery stores, like your life is over until you get this vaccine. You know, and that's 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 what I mean by dropping the hammer. Um, and uh, I just don't feel like the public discourse is there yet. That maybe it's just going to take a surge everywhere because right now it's in the usual suspect. Uh, red states are getting hit the hardest, but I mean, everybody's taking a lap about that, but it's going to happen here in the winter too, right? It might not get as bad because... Oh, yeah, the way, oh, yeah. Bad. But there's a, there's a seasonality aspect of this, not, not to the virus, but to people's behavior in the country because the whole southern half of the country is um, trapped in their air conditioning right now. And we're out enjoying the beautiful weather up here in, in, the, in the great north, right? And so when that flips, when we're trapped in the, inside with the heat on, same thing's going to happen here. You know, I, I, I thought it'll be as bad as Florida... Because we have smarter people running the running the show here, and because we have higher vaccination rates to start, but so we're not going to get away with this either. So, um, the sooner they get ahead of this, particularly in Illinois, right, by um, doing everything that you can to encourage every institution in the state to to require vaccines, the better off we'll be.
0: And before we leave uh, COVID to go to infrastructure, let me just point out tie the two conversations together. The utter other utter madness of politics in America today. Uh, The state of California, which is probably one of the most democratic states in the union and is probably the biggest uh, supporters of masks and vaccines, uh, is on the threshold of electing as its governor a man, Larry Elders, who is dedicated against masks and vaccines. Utter insanity. So making it that much harder to get anything done is just... (laughs) sometimes you just have to laugh it's just like joseph heller could not have conceived of a more insane system in many ways that we have here in the united states and it's called democracy all right let's close with democracy and action the infrastructure we have talked about the infrastructure, but we have talked so much about this, uh, David, in, in connection with the filibuster, in the connection with your two favorite senators, cinema and Manchin, ha, ha, ha. Uh, he, D- David uh, was having nightmares over Joe Manchin long before his fashionable, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I Help me out here. You're the man who wrote the book, uh, urging Democrats to follow a certain strategy when dealing with Republicans, which is just to treat Republicans the way Republicans treat Democrats. Uh, Clearly, Joe Biden either didn't read your book or disagrees with it vehemently. He is pursuing, I don't know, maybe I'm being unfair, what I think is the most self-defeating strategy. I can imagine a president with limited time with a uh, Democratic control of House and Senate. It's a very small window he's got here. David Ferris, because the next election, as you just pointed out, is right around the corner. So your thoughts on the infrastructure bill that may or may not have passed. I'm not quite sure where we stand with it at this moment. Go ahead. Well, it's not of the Senate,
1: um, and now it's to the House. And it's, well, we'll get into this. But um, the, the overall, my overall take on this, first of all, to maintain your my public credibility here, I never thought this would happen in the first place. Okay, I really didn't think that they would get 19 Republican votes for any major democratic priority Um, and infrastructure is a major democratic priority. And so here's, I don't, I'm not going to eat a bug like Sam Wong. Okay. I didn't think this was going to happen, but, but here we are. Um, and the the, two problems with what's happening right now. Okay. Um, so one, we have a, we have a bipartisan infrastructure bill that has now landed, uh, in the lap of, of Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. At the same time, the progressive wing of the party, got Pelosi to pledge that this bill would not get out of the house until the house receives the Senate version of the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that includes most of what was going to go into, you know, like that includes all these other democratic priorities, like extending the child uh, care rebate and some universal pre-K stuff and care economy, like all sorts. is this, this just a lot coming in, you know, of this reconciliation bill. Um, and so you set up this, I don't want to call it a trap, right? But it's a very complicated set of negotiations and then votes where, um, you're, you're trying to steward two bills through Congress at the same time, right? One and, and some subset of your caucus regards one as contingent on the other. And some other subset of the caucus rec- regards the other one as contingent on the other one. Does that make sense? So you got the progressives in the house that are like, I'm not passing the, um, I'm not passing the bipartisan bill until I get the, the reconciliation bill, the huge spending bill that's coming on on a simple majority vote out of the Senate. And then just today you had nine house moderate Democrats, um, sign a letter that said, they're not signing. We're <laughs> not going to vote for the reconciliation bill until Pelosi passes the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Right? So now we've set up the stupidest standoff in world history, right? Um, because all of this time, like, we're negotiating with ourselves, okay? Um, I, I'm going to just return to, to baseball for one second, because I'm a, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan. And in 2010, the Phillies signed this first baseman named Ryan Howard to a five-year, $125 million contract, even though his initial contract was not up for another two years. Okay? They were negotiating against themselves for, for no reason, right? Like, there was no pressure on them. No, one's, no one was going to take Ryan Howard from them. They had all the power to take their time and see what would happen, and get the best deal they could get with this guy. And then they signed this deal, it was a catastrophe. Uh, the rest is history. And Democrats are doing this thing, and and you know they have to, I guess, because this is what Mansion and Cinema want. And you have you have a zero you have zero vote clearance in the Senate. You need all fifty of them to do anything. Um, and so it, it really does come back to my loathing of of Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, who are the ones who have imposed this impossible strategy on the party itself. It's evidence of what happens when, when you let your members uh, act like they are the, the Senate majority leader, It's like, it's like nobody elected Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to anything. They elected Chuck Schumer um, and the country elected Democrats to run the country. They did not elect Democrats to go um, shave off half of their bill just to get Mitch McConnell's signature on it. and so I'm very concerned about what's going to happen now. Um, everybody thinks this is a done deal, and it's just like, don't stop holding the rose garden ceremonies until you're actually signing a piece of legislation. Didn't you learn that from Trump? Um, so look, if they if they can get both of these things through Congress, God bless them. You know, like if they get the bipartisan infrastructure deal and then the reconciliation bill comes in, and it's anywhere near what Bernie Sanders and his allies want it to be. Then I, that'll be a huge coup for the Democrats, and I'll, I'll be happy. I'm always happy to be wrong in the in the in a good direction, right? Um, but my concern is that we're going to have several more months of this all twisting in the wind, while Biden's numbers are are going down, while Democrats' numbers on the generic ballot that's the that's the poll that asks you whether you will vote for a Republican or a Democrat in the next election those numbers are down. Um, all of which was very predictable, um, and it's especially predictable if you spend the first like seven months of your once in a generation majority negotiating a single bill with Republicans and while ignoring all of your other priorities, um, because ordinary people just don't understand why things are not getting done. Um, And so there is potential here for this to work out fine for Democrats, right? They get both these bills through. um, I think that'll position them pretty well for 2022. And my humble opinion, if they don't do democracy reform at the same time, Um, They're shooting themselves in the foot and they're making it almost impossible to hold the house Um, But in terms of like, you know, okay, what could we get done with our time and power? You could do worse than the bipartisan infrastructure bill and then this enormous reconciliation bill. I like that. That's not nothing Um, But the concern as always is spending this precious time negotiating with McConnell we still don't have we still don't have legislation signed by Joe Biden and our Senate majority could go up um, in a, you know, in a cardiac arrest for Patrick Leahy or, or Diane Feinstein, you know, anytime, you know, if the Joe Manchin has these, these houseboat parties where he invites like half of the red state Democrats in the Senate to like drink with him. And apparently over the, did we talk about this last time? Apparently over the, wind, yeah you know, Manchin and Te- John Tester of Montana like fell down like the gangway of the, I don't know. I don't understand boats ben. The the thing where he, <laughs> he <drove laughs> no, I did not boat, hear this. You know, the gangplank, the waterway, whatever it is. They fell. They almost fell into the icy Potomac and They almost both died. Um, and so oh, I just God. don't, again, I just, there is a sense of urgency here because people do die. Um, senators do become incapacitated. Um, and there's, you know, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think it's about seven or eight Democrats serving under Republican governors. Um, and so this could go away at any time. And we, if, if like, look at it this way. Let's say that it, uh, John Tester, I, God bless you, John Tester. I hope you live a long life. But he falls off the of John Benchin's boat tomorrow morning. Um, he's replaced by a, you know, a Trump radio host. Um, and then we don't get anything, right? Then we just spent seven months and all we got was the COVID relief bill. Wow. Right? Like, um, and ma- I guess maybe then the house could pass the, um, the house could pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill and Biden can sign that, but then that's it. That's all we're going to get for the rest of the term. Um and so I think that the moderates are taking a victory lap right now that's, that's very unjustified. Um, they think that they've like solved politics because they passed this one bill, even though it's very obvious why McConnell did this, it's because he wanted to stop filibuster reform. And when, now when the progressives are pushing to abolish the filibuster, the moderates are gonna be like, look, I mean, we got, we got McConnell to go along with this infrastructure bill, right? The Senate works. Yeah. don't fix what's not broken. And so we just derailed all of the, of the momentum To make the Senate a functional institution and the press in this country relentlessly describes voting for things with your majority as ramming it through, you know, they're like, this is the form that would, you know, that would allow the majority to ram a bill through the Senate. I'm like, yeah, with the, like with the majority that the people elected them to, that's not ramming it through. It's just governing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a pet peeve. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> oh, my Lord. Uh, that was a, a great riff. And uh, it has left me feeling a little hopeless as I end this show. Uh, and prepare to go on my vacation. So <laughs> let's end where we began. And since the politics is looking so bleak at the moment, let's extol the virtues of our beloved Chicago White Sox, who defeated the dreaded New York Yankees last night in the Field of Dream Games on a ninth inning walk-off homer by shortstop Tim Anderson. How about that? We're going to end where we began and pretend like all the
1: gloom and doom. Right. This White Sox team is fun, and, and they've, got, they've got Eloy Jimenez back. They've got Luis Robert back. The White Sox the stadium is one of my favorite places to see a game. It's one of the most diverse crowds you're ever going to see at a baseball game, which is super cool. You're not packed gill to gill like you are at Wrigley. Um, and uh, I just I really love the atmosphere down there. It's a fun team to watch. I hope they go all the way, um, and I hope they humiliate the owners of the Cubs, who are just the most rotten people. Um <laughs> Just the most I just like I just the worst owners of a baseball team I think since March shot
0: and um, I, I just wish them nothing but the worst um, and that is about as good a spot as all, uh, any to uh, end this conversation because I pretty much agree with everything you just said <laughs> uh, the, the both in my love for the Chicago White Sox and uh, in my disdain utter disdain for the ownership of the Chicago Cubs who they've uh, gotten rid of all their players so they have a lower uh, payroll. And as one, uh, as Neil Steinberg, of the Sun-Times wrote, that means they will not have more money uh, to contribute to Donald Trump's campaigns. So uh, Cub fans, you got to think long and hard about your allegiance to that team. All right, David Ferris, I want you to stay safe and sound for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to bring you back, uh, I guess, every other week. Now we're going to set up a schedule. Uh, David and I will be discussing national politics uh, and every now and then to make us feel better, we'll talk about our beloved White Sox. So uh, right. you take care. Thank you very much for coming on. It's a blast talking to you, David. All right. Thanks,. Man. Thanks, have,
1: thanks for having me. Take care. Have a great trip.
0: I, I will. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.